0: I'm here to tell you all about Advisor 3.0 Change Agents. The Master 10 conference for financial planners is happening in London on 18th of May, 2023. 2023. Sizzling keynote speakers include Baroness Karen Brady, CBE, and the legend that is Seth Godin, plus Ola Abdul and Sean Hegarty. Co-hosted by Abraham Ocasania and Robin Wigglesworth, guests can enjoy insightful interactive panels, debates, networking, Q&A sessions, and so, so much more. Grab them now at www. Timeline.com forward slash advisor 3.0. You're listening to Retirementals.
1: Welcome to Retirementals. My guest today is on a mission to help 1 million women become financially resilient. She's an award-winning financial planner and certified financial coach on a mission to reduce anxiety and increase financial empowerment. Catherine Morgan Welcome to Retirementals.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Abraham.
1: So, Catherine, I thought if I just Go off reading your profile. You know, the fact that you've been on, you know, BBC, uh, f- Channel 4, w- Woman's Hour. You've been featured, uh, your book and, and your work has been, been featured in, in the Telegraph, in the Times. I thought that we wouldn't get to an opportunity to actually speak to you because you've got an incredible, incredible track record. So I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you but take us right back um you know how did you get into the world of financial planning and 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 financial coaching
0: yeah thank you such a good question and it's so interesting actually even you just sharing you know you've been featured in this and you've been featured in this for me you know none of that matters you know that i think a lot of what we the perception around you know, creating a strong brand and a reputation is very, you know, it's ego centered, it's status driven. And for me, that's never been what my work's been about, you know, and for those of you that have never come across my work before, I started in financial services, as most people did, as a 18 year old, I just finished college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to go and study law or journalism. Like Those are the two things that sparked my curiosity. And my sister worked at the bank and I remember having a place at uni and just not feeling quite sure that that was the path that I wanted to go and explore. And so I started working as a cashier and within about three years, I'd worked through from a cashier to opening bank accounts and personal loans. And then I started, Um, uh, as a mortgage advisor. And I kind of got into the, the, the real golden handshake position, I think, looking back in my early 20s of making some good money. And then I wanted to have my own house. So I bought my first house and then I wanted a car. And so, you know, I really fell into financial services because I had no idea what else I wanted to do. And I quickly discovered that I really enjoyed people and human behavior and i i still now remember the types of clients who would come and visit me at the at the counter um, when i used to work at the halifax and there was this one character that i still remember now and he used to come in every sunday and he'd come in looking very besheveled you know his hair wasn't washed he had uh dirty clothes it looked like he had no money But I remember every Sunday he would hand his passbook over to me and he had thousands and thousands of pounds in his account. And even at that age, I remember being really curious to the perception of what he looked like versus how that was represented in his account. And I actually got to know this guy quite, quite well over the year uh, that I was working as a cashier. And he had some very strong addictions um and you know he would come in he would withdraw a lot of money but he would then pay it back in again he would you know he was addicted with gambling and drugs and and i just remember thinking who was supporting him with his relationship with money and over the time i worked in banks which ended up being 20 years i then went on to become a an IFA a financial advisor i then discovered financial planning But I had a terrible relationship with money myself. I would make money and spend money, make money and spend money. And my ability to hold on to money was very much linked to my ability uh, and my self-worth or lack of. And I didn't feel deserving to keep hold of wealth, to keep hold of money because of what money represented to me. And I just got super curious about the human behavior that sat behind my own behavior, my own relationship with money. And it wasn't really until I got into my thirties that I started to explore this through psychology, um, through coaching, through some therapeutic modalities that I actually discovered that the relationship we have with money is really a mirror reflection of the relationship that we have with ourselves. And through my own personal journey of going from £30,000 of recurring debt shame cycles in my 20s to now running three very successful businesses, that I understood that it wasn't about the practical steps. It wasn't about knowing more about how to manage money. It was about managing my relationship to it.
1: Unpack those three businesses for us. What are they? What do they do? How are are they different from uh, one another?
0: Yeah, so uh, our our core business um, is we support um, female entrepreneurs, uh, so consumers, uh, through an online uh, version of different courses. We we run retreats uh, over in the beautiful island of Jersey and the Channel Islands, which is where I now live. Um, And we support women to take them through three main steps, which is about deserving to have more. And and it's very much to do with their sense of self-identity, their ability to hold on to more and their ability to give and grow uh, wealth. And when I say wealth, I'm not just talking about money. This is, you know, it's an all encompassing state of mind. It's a state of being. Um, And that's our core business. That's the Catherine Morgan brand. Um, And so we invest a lot of our time in in, in that space. Um, I also, as part of that work, we do a lot of work around financial abuse. That's a a specific area that I feel very called to support locally on the island. I do a lot of work with the domestic abuse charity um, and we also uh, invest a lot of our proceeds from our book, actually, to those charities um, and I went to visit Richard Branson in Necker Island last year to really try and identify ways through the Virgin Unite Trust work how we can push that forward, um, in, you know, in in, in the world. Um, so that's the, that's the main core business. We also have uh, the Money Panel, which is a financial coach training business. So this was a business that we created three years ago uh, purely from demands of financial planners and para planners, accountants and financial professionals who were curious to know what financial coaching is all about and how to integrate that into their work so that they could have more meaningful conversations with clients. So we have a lovely community of financial coaches that we've supported over the last few years and we will continue to to move that forwards. And that's really about empowering more financial professionals so that they can go on to empower their clients. You know, it's the whole cycle of transformation. And in doing so, they also hugely transform their own relationship with money. It almost is like a byproduct of the of the program. Um, So those are the two core businesses. And then we actually have a brand new business, which if you're watching this on video, you may see some pictures behind me. This is a, uh, an assessment tool that we are creating. Uh, it's currently in sort of testing mode uh, and it's called money story types. And this is a tool that we've created and researched over the last five years. And we are also doing some university research around the psychology of why do we make certain decisions around money? And the tool has been created as a way for financial professionals to use it with new clients or existing clients. Um, to open up the conversation around money you know to make it a fun easier conversation to identify what are some of the behaviors that are driving our clients decisions around money you're listening to retirementals
1: Super pumped to tell you about this new incredible event experience that we've created for the financial planning community in 2023: Advisor 3.0 Change Agent. We've created this mind-blowing. Uh, array of content, breakout sessions led by the profession's best and brightest, keynotes by world-class speakers. It's a day you don't want to miss. Co-hosting the day with me is the amazing Robin Wigglesworth and then we have the legendary Seth Godin. Yes, that Seth Godin as keynote. So, this is happening on the 18th of May, 2023, in London. Do yourself a favor, block out the 18th of May in your diary. Get yourself registered for this amazing experience, and I look forward to seeing you there. You don't want to miss this. See you then.
0: You're listening to Retirementals.
1: I know that you uh, used to, you know, provide financial advice uh, and obviously at some point you, you step back from that. And I've mm-hmm. had, you know, your, your story before you spoke at a, at a, at a, uh, I think it was humans under management. And you talked about how you very, very nearly left the industry for, for, you know, for, for, for some reason. So can you tell us a little bit about a, you know, how, why you stepped back from from the financial uh, planning side of things is that because the coaching just took off or w- was there um you know a, a different reason behind that
0: yeah it's such a great question gosh the humans under management conference seems like a million years ago and actually that was the platform that really gave me the confidence to step into Um, where I am now and I'm always ever so grateful for Andy Hart's um, invitation to that conference and interestingly the day before that conference this was the first ever speaker event I'd ever um, participated in and I remember the day before um, I don't even know whether Andy knows this actually I was thinking of any any excuse to avoid going and standing (laughs) on that stage and I was like I'm just gonna call in sick like I was petrified of sharing my story and for me the the journey to that day when I stood on that stage and shared my story actually came from a place of um, mental illness and trauma and what had happened for me in the years prior to that is when my second son was born, uh, Thomas, um, when he was just five weeks old, we almost lost him to bacterial meningitis. And I remember as clear as day, it it was the 1st of October 2013. And he woke up on this particular morning. And he wasn't himself, he wasn't feeding, he wasn't sleeping, he was making these odd grunting noises in his sleep, he he just wasn't himself and as the day progressed um his his condition sort of deteriorated quite rapidly and i remember at the time feeling like a paranoid parent i was like you know i'm sure he's absolutely fine and as the day progressed he just got worse and worse and worse to the point where i ended up throwing him in his car seat drove down to a and e i rang my husband and said like i'm not taking any chances i'm taking him straight down to hospital despite conversations with medical professionals that, you know, just give him some cowpaw, he'll be fine. Um, and within 20 minutes of arriving in the hospital, his skin started to mottle. Um, they put me on a wheelchair, had him in my arms, and they wheeled us straight into resuscitation. Wow. And it was in that moment that I ha- we, we had about 15 doctors kind of surrounding me in resuscitation. and And at the time, I didn't really know what was going on i kind of had a sense of knowing this that something was wrong but i was really optimistic i'm a very positive person i was like right what you know what needs to happen what's the solution to this and i remember 3 days later after they admitted him that they did a lumbar puncture which is one of the worst worst experiences to for a parent i think to experience with their child And they diagnosed him with bacterial meningitis and they said there was like a 50, 50 chance he was going to survive. And it was in that moment when we had that diagnosis and I was in hospital with him, I was really fortunate. I was able to stay with him. And the the instance for me was when I came out of hospital, I was diagnosed with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Thomas was very unwell when he returned from home because of the consequences of having lots of antibiotics pumped into his into his system. And I repeated this same cycle of overspending, which had occurred in my 20s. I thought I'd fixed it and it recurred again. And I, I had a huge amount of anxiety. And when I went back to work a year later, I sat in the bank. And I remember helping this lady who recently lost her husband and my sales manager was like, did you make any sales? And I was like, no, she didn't need any products. She just needed some support with helping her sort out her share paperwork. And, you know, she had about 50 shares that she'd inherited. She had no idea what to do with them, what decisions to make. And she was grieving. And I remember after my boss rang me and said, how many sales did you make today? And I said, I didn't make any sales today. And this was the reason I sat there and thought, why are we focusing all of our expertise on products and solutions? Because for me, being in that hospital, um, being surrounded by professionals who had solutions didn't prevent me from essentially my behavior going down a route of overspending, which is a trauma response. It's a trauma response to... Uh, something that has happened that is creating this behavior. And I was seeking this dopamine hit, you know, this dopamine hit that goes on in the brain that is seeking some level of joy and um, excitement and happiness. And it really wasn't until I'd appreciated that. I remember going home from work that day and I just turned around to my husband and I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not supporting my clients in the best way. And that's when I started to really explore the psychology of money and immersing myself in qualifications and study. And it was at that point, I just felt very frustrated, I guess, with I wanted to help clients to get better solutions and outcomes that didn't just rely on financial products. And don't get me wrong, we need financial products. They're there to facilitate. Um, you know, investment returns and reducing tax and all of those things. But for me, that isn't where the journey started. And it shouldn't be where the journey starts with clients. They need our help in having a better relationship with money. And when I say a better relationship with money, I don't just necessarily mean help when you're overspending, because you may not have clients who have difficulties overspending, but I can pretty much guarantee that you have clients in your portfolio that have difficulties with spending on themselves. Mm. they have difficulties with passing on wealth they have difficulties in their emotional response when the stock market's going all over the place they have emotional reactions or responses based on how they perceive or the meaning that they give to money and if you think about it so much of this is generational so much of the beliefs that we carry around money don't actually even belong to us. They've just literally been passed down from one generation to the next. And this evidence to show that your relationship with money is actually based on seven generations of inherited money patterns and beliefs and traumas. And that's really interesting because when we know this, we can start to think about some of the influences that is essentially creating the decisions that our clients are making every single day around money.
1: So a lot of financial planner will say, look, we're financial planners. Um, we're not therapists. Yeah. How, how do we reconcile this? You know, of course, there is aspect of the financial planner's job that you engage, you know, some, you know, behavioral coaching to, to guide the client. But when it comes to, you know, deep unraveling of history, behavior patterns, problems, uh, you know, traumas, you know, there's a case, there's an argument that we don't have the professional qualifications and skills to deal with this nor do the client necessarily pay us for
0: it. Mm-hmm. There, there is a, a distinction certainly between therapy and coaching. So this is where I think as a profession, I I hear what you say, Abraham, and we are not th- therapists and mm. nor should we be. You know, As a financial planner, our clients are not going to come to us and say, look, I have this trauma. I need some support to clear it. There's actually it's, it's unconscious bias that's playing out here, right? So this isn't necessarily about well we can't explore this with a client because we're not qualified therapists. There is a level above therapy, which is what I call a state of awareness, and there is so much that we can support clients with if we were to focus on things like their language, for example, you know, bringing curiosity to a client's language. Is one of the most powerful things that you can do. And I'll give you an example of what this might look like in the context of retirement planning. So, if a client, for example, is saying things like, you you know, we ask the question, you know, what do you want to do in retirement? What does that look like for you? And the client might start to say, well, I just can't, I I can't really see that. It's too far ahead. Like, I can't, I can't see that. Hmm. The fact that the client is saying, I just can't see that is giving me first of all an indication that what's probably going on first of all is that the brain is not wanting to think about the future because the future is full of uncertainty and so the brain will do its utmost best to protect you from uncertainty and it will keep you stuck in present day which actually we want clients to be more in present moment. Um, So that's the first thing that might be going on there. The second thing is that if they're saying I can't see it they may not be visual they might not be able to see it because we've asked them what do you see yourself doing in retirement because we might be quite a visual person if you know and this is what i call an all auditory participation experience if you really listen to the client's language you can get super curious to you know how do they learn and how do they think are they left brain dominant logical analytical thinkers Are they creative, intuitive creatures, you know? And there's quite a lot of research that shows actually that it's not a gender thing. It's not that men are logical and and women are emotional. That it's not a gender thing. Um, But actually just to understand whether your client is more left brain or right brain dominant is super helpful in the context of the work that you're doing with them. Because if they are kinesthetic, for example, they have to go and experience something. So go and help them experience what retirement looks like right now. Go and get them researching on Airbnb, their dream holiday that they're going to take when they hit 60 and take their cash-free tax, you know, their tax-free cash. Go and help them to experience what it would be like to go and live in a different country. You know, go, go and live there for a month. And then let's meet and talk about your experience. Um, if they are, um you know, very connected to auditory, what they hear, you know, then the, then the question, you know, tell me about, you know, the what do you want to do in your future? You're inviting that curiosity for them to explain, because you know, that they, they learn through what they hear. And all of that can be done in such a beautiful connection way with the client. It doesn't involve therapy. It doesn't involve understanding their traumas that have happened in the past. But I do think that we have a a duty and a responsibility to bring more awareness to how does the client best make decisions around money? What are some of the experiences that, that they have had that are creating the meaning or the perception that they're giving to money that's ultimately feeding the behaviors because if we don't go anywhere near those conversations then everything is 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 conscious conversations and actually there is so much change and transformation that can occur when we can bring awareness to our clients relationship with money and the language that they are using with it
1: fascinating stuff so you you talked about this this um shall I call it app or software or questionnaire that you you're building around um you know helping people understand or reveal their their money types what are the money types uh, and why does it matter to know what my money type is I know I've got money coming in I know I've got it going out I keep the <laughs> difference <laughs>
0: Yeah, great question. So we we have discovered five key uh, archetypes, if you like, with clients' relationships with money, and this has come from five years of working with clients on a one-to-one basis over the years uh, in our consumer community and in group, you know, big group programs that we run. And we've identified there are five main archetypes. The first one is the um, the impulsive story type. So this is me. <laughs> this was me in my twenties. These are for people who are um, overspenders and and often this is very much linked to status. You know, this can be very much linked to having a status relationship with money. So you'll see this with clients who um, you put something in their cash flow forecast and actually it's not very accurate. They have no idea what they're really spending on money. Um, And there's quite a lot of shame and guilt that can come up for clients around their relationship with money in that particular archetype. But when we talk about archetypes, Abraham, we don't we don't do it as a labelling exercise. So what we don't want to do is create a label for the client where they say, oh, well, I'm impulsive. Therefore, this is just the reason for me. being." Yeah, I was
1: made that way. It's not my fault.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So when we go through the archetypes and the reports that we generate for clients is the first thing that we do is get them to appreciate how it supports them in their relationship with money. It's actually the first step in our money narrative clearing methodology that we teach in our financial coach certification program is how is this supporting you? That's the question. How is this relationship with money supporting you? Now it may be supporting them because they can make quick decisions, fast decisions, they're impulsive, impulsive, If someone rang me and said, let's go to Madonna's concert tomorrow, (laughs) I'd be like, yeah, sure. I wouldn't even check my bank account. I would just, I would enjoy the moment. Now, as a, as an example of an opposite narrative to that, the opposite story type would be the architects. So these are for clients who they have, they know exactly what they're spending. They have their budget plans you know they really get invested in the whole cash flow forecasting they 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 love the numbers they're quite analytical and how that supports them is that they they are good planners you know they they like to plan ahead they like to think ahead however if i rang an architect and said oh madonna's playing tonight i've got a last minute ticket they'd be like oh hold on i need to think about this i'm not sure i haven't planned it like and and it would create a feeling of a resistance in themselves that that well to be impulsive or spontaneous would almost feel misaligned with them Mm. in some way for those of you that are listening to this and thinking yep that's me (laughs) like you'll totally relate to this um we then have the enabler story type and the enabler story type is the overgiver. it's the people pleaser it's the it's the archetype who Often you'll see this particularly in women actually from our research um, that everybody else's needs come first and whatever is left is then available to that person. And this can show up in what we call a fawning response to money. A fawning response is when we psychologically, we people please, we overgive, we do everything because we want people to love and accept us. And so we make decisions based on Uh, that validation of looking after everybody else's needs first. So, So that's the enabler story type. And then the other two is the pacifist and the innovator. So the pacifist is somebody who shoulders a lot of responsibility. They don't want to take responsibility for making financial decisions. You'll often see this in couples, that one person will just shoulder the responsibility that oh, uh, my husband or my wife takes care of those decisions. Now that can be a trauma response because for some clients, they've been through things like divorce or bankruptcies, or they've experienced bankruptcies with their parents, for example, and it can create a, a feeling that they don't want to have responsibility around money because of the meaning that that means, you know, what that brings, that rich people are greedy, that money is just for wealthy people that's not for me um and they kind of create these narratives these stories that give them uh, a feeling that uh that is not nice and so forth they'll just pass that decision to somebody else and then then we have Do you have a question on that one no carry on And then the final money story type is the innovator. The innovator, we actually created this archetype off a specific financial planner who will remain nameless, although he knows who he is. And when we did our research, we were like, he didn't quite fit in to one of these money story types predominantly, you know, so most people are a a mix of all of these, but they have a a predominant uh, overriding story And we created this particular story type on this financial planner who is very entrepreneurial. They often have lots of things going on at once. They're very creative with money. They are often quite high risk takers with money. Um, And so the innovator is always looking at new ideas that their belief around money is, well. I'll just make more of it. Hmm. Like they don't necessarily have a scarcity mindset. They have quite an abundance, quite a growth mindset around money. And they use money as a way to create good change in the world or to use it to facilitate growth in their life, in their communities, etc. So those are the five story types. And as I said before, like there's no you're not one of them over the other, but you'll have a, a dominance in one of those that drives the majority of the decisions that you make around money.
1: It's really fascinating, and I think you might have described me in there. Well, initially, when you were talking about the first one, I was looking to call my wife to say, "Can you come listen? To this? Can you come listen to this?" Uh, 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 yeah, and uh, I, I don't know. I think I'm more of the last one, but who knows? Uh, I would love, I would love to take your test actually. I mean, so so this is specifically about money, right? I'm assuming that this emanates from the personality of the individual you know i don't know if you're familiar with um you know there's this american um you know psychologist preacher uh, called tim lahaye and he came up with the different personality tra- temperaments they call them there's the sanguine and phlegmatic and choleric and i remember the, you you're taking me back now i remember just coming out of university and reading his book about all this temperament and, you know, my, my now wife and girlfriend at the time, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time (laughs) just wondering which ones we, you know, which, which, where do we fit? And there is overlap, Mm. as you say. Um, But, but I guess my question is, is this a personality trait? Does it change? Or you know are we you know when you're working with clients, are you working with them to change this thing if it's not serving them, or is it kind of accepting it and and finding your your ways around it
0: yeah i i i I really don't believe that we should use any personality tool you know whether it's myers-briggs love languages like what what there's so many yeah love
1: languages is one thing. and as well my wife brings you know she brings this thing up all, all the time you know your your love language is touch or gift or, or or whatever and i always say oh you know
0: <laughs> it's so fun like it that the love languages actually is a really great one we use this with our team so when we right. hire a team into the company uh-huh. We ask them to do love languages because it's a great way to understand how we feel valued. Mm. So just to give you an example, if you haven't done love languages, like go to lovelanguages.com. It's a really great quiz. My husband, his top two love languages are words of affirmation and physical touch. So I basically just have to rub his arm when when he's cooked and just go, that was such an amazing meal, darling. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And he's like, Oh, thanks. Like he feels so valued. Whereas if someone did that to me, I'd be like, I'd find it really condescending. Like get off. Like, what are you doing? Whereas for me, like acts of service is my highest love language. So if somebody does something to me, that's really spontaneous, or it shows they've put a lot of thought into it, like that makes me feel really valued. So going back to your question, I feel like the reason we've created this, first of all, is to open up fun conversations around money Um, and particularly in the dynamics of relationships. You know, often we are naturally attracted to the opposite personality type. There's lots of research around this in the US. Mm. Um, And consequently, you are very likely to be in a relationship with someone who has the opposite relationship to money, Mm. you know, the architect and the impulsive often come together and it creates conflict. So we created it because we wanted to open up conversations around money. And we've used this um, in so many examples where we've seen huge transformations with clients because we've enabled them to open up these conversations and explore how does the how does the story that they are telling themselves, how does the story that they have grown up around support them. And how does it challenge them? Where are the challenges for an impulsive? It might be, for example, that if you have an impulsive and an architect in a relationship, they can actually work really well together if they understand that actually that natural behavior with money is, is different to each other. And it's not about one person is right and one person is wrong, but that's the perception. You know, the perception is, that one of you is right and one of you is wrong, hence the conflict. So harboring better conversations with money is is a great way to look at it. And it's about looking at two sides of the coin. How does it support us? How does it sabotage or how does it prevent us from making better financial decisions? How does it prevent us from being comfortable to take more risks if that's needed in our financial plan um, to have better uh, decisions around money? And then also, I think it invokes just that curiosity, you know, and and anything that invokes curiosity is a great way to start to bring more trust and connection between consumers and the financial services profession, you know, professionals. There are so many clients who will never reach out to a financial planner because they feel so much guilt, shame, judgment um, around money that they'll never approach a financial planner and normally because the financial planner's website is full of the standard stuff you know it's the we do pensions investments etc and and if they have no education around that and they then have all these emotions around money like guilt and shame then they're not going to reach out for that support that actually they really need so it's also a way to connect consumers with you guys the financial professionals who you know if you're listening to this podcast for sure you're going to be curious to behaviors around money to life coaching to going deeper with clients so it's about connecting and and building trust in the financial services profession by having these kind of conversations
1: I mean if anyone has proven that you can turn these things to you know, you know, money generating value adding, you know, venture or business you have. I'm just trying to think about this in my head to, to think to ask the question, how would you approach this? Would you may, maybe actually give us some insight in terms of how you prize this thing, you know, from a commercial point of view? So would you say, you know, hey, look, before we even go into the conversation about financial planning and all that stuff, we're going to do this thing to understand your money you know your money archetype or your money type and all that stuff and you would price that differently in which case what does that look like and then you have the 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 you know the traditional financial planning uh, services or would you just merge everything t- 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 together in which case as a planner i'm asking the question well you know like Basically, I'm going to be doing more for, for, for the same money.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm so glad you've asked that question because certainly in our coach community, these questions are asked all the time. You know, how do I integrate this into these conversations without spending more time and less money? Because, you know, of course you're running a business. It's got to be commercially viable. And I think that there's there's several ways that we've seen successful Financial planners integrate these kind of methodologies and and coaching into their businesses. And there's neither is right and neither is wrong. But what we've seen certainly when I was a financial planner is that we would um, just use this as a tool to better the advisor, to get more curious to those conversations in your, Mm. you know, your fact-finding process, in that discovery meeting with the clients. Um, And that's certainly one very simple way where. You may decide as part of that process that you send them a quiz to complete before they come in, that you maybe monitor that with them over a period of time to look at, well, you're you know, currently you're very predominant in impulsive. Let's see if we can work together over the course of the relationship to improve that. And, and But there's got to be a, a willingness there for the clients. And I think it depends on. Also, the type of client and the type of business that you're creating. If you're building a business that is intergenerational wealth planning, um, where potentially you want to um, even showcase your business in a way that is completely different to other financial planners in your local town, for example, this is the way to do it. This is the way to really emphasize that what we're doing is not just planning. It's not just advice. It's that deeper level of Uh, Transformation. uh, And I'm talking physically, like physical financial transformations. Mm. I'm talking about shifting a client's relationship with money from being an overspender to saving more money and investing more money and creating them more financial stability, more financial freedom, all of those things that clients are desiring. But the financial product in itself is not going to solve that. We've got to help them to shift those behaviors. So I I do think it is a way that the advisor can be upskilled in the softer skills of those conversations around money. And I also think there is an opportunity, and we see many of our coaches doing this, are by, I would say, a smaller minority, is they actually are setting up standalone financial coaching businesses, financial education businesses. They're using social media or podcast platforms to communicate great financial education and great um, conversations about clients' relationships with money. And clients are coming into those businesses. They're like, well, I never would have contacted you as a financial planner because I need help with this. And the coach will work with them on a standalone basis as a financial coach proposition, which typically would look like you know, a number of sessions over a period of time, six sessions over three months, for example, to really dive deep into their relationship with money. And then at that point, the client has experienced such tremendous shift in their relationship with money, they're now ready to come and work with you in the regulated capacity and build a financial plan and have a look at some of the things that they've just quite frankly been burying their head in the sand about, you know. So there is space with financial coaching to fully integrate it into the work that you're already doing to make you a better advisor. And there's also space for those people who either don't want to be regulated. Let's face it, you know, I made the decision three, four years ago, I didn't want to be regulated anymore. The joy for me was in the connection with the client. And I tried all the things. I outsourced to paraplanners. I got rid of all the admin headaches. I tried all those things and I still didn't feel that this was the work I really wanted to do. And there will be financial professionals that are listening to this that are feeling like that. But I also think that there is space for these things to happen conjointly together. And I would love it if more... Financial professionals, you know, whether it's coming through our program or somebody else's program, or just upskilling yourself to explore these conversations, I can almost guarantee you that you'll have much better fulfillment in your life as a financial planner. And your clients will begin to see such emotional shifts and connections that they will stay with you. You know, you're going to improve your retention of your clients. And You're going to get more referrals. They're going to, you're going to potentially be able to shift those generational patterns, not just for that client sitting in front of you, but for every single future generation. And you can tell I'm so passionate about this, right? This is where the opportunity is. We can create opportunity to not just help the client sitting in front of us. If they can shift their relationship with money, they get to change the epigenetics the generations of money beliefs that they're going to pass to their grandchildren their children their their great-great-grandchildren this is where we can create powerful change and when i say epigenetics what i'm talking about there is that at a cellular level the beliefs that we carry about ourselves are passed through the generations this is the work of bruce lipton dr bruce lipton epigenetics we know that there is research that confirms that the beliefs we carry about ourselves come from our parents it's in our DNA and so that's incredibly powerful to start to think about this isn't about changing the client sitting in front of you this is about generational change for every future generation ahead of us Fascinating stuff.
1: Uh, if anyone's wondering uh, about that, that that reference to Bruce Lipton, uh, there, there's a book on, on, um, on Amazon, The Biology of Belief, Unleashing the Power of Unconsciousness, Matter and Miracles. That's fascinating. Uh, it's I, a I'll... really
0: hard book. I'll, I'll be <laughs> honest. I've read it. Um, it. It's a really hard book to digest. The book that I'd actually recommend, um, in addition to, I mean, I would actually watch his videos probably more than read his book. Right. But the book yeah. that I would love to recommend around this subject is actually by somebody called Mark Woolin, uh, okay. which is W-O-L-Y-N-N, Mark Woolin, and it's called It Didn't Start With Me. Huh. Um, and that actually covers, in a much simpler, non-scientific-y way, um, some lots of, case studies about how uh, the epigenetics works of uh, core beliefs and traumas being carried through from one generation to the next
1: fascinating okay i hope
0: bruce lipton's not not listening to this show
1: (laughs) yeah no i'm adding them to my amazon (laughs) basket (laughs) and then i have to persuade myself to read them no, it, it's really fascinating. Thank you for, for so much wisdom and value that you, you brought to this, Catherine. Before we, we wrap this up, um, I want to ask you your tips um for um you know your your building your brand and getting media presence. I know you said at the start, you know, it's not <laughs> all about brand, it's not about being on BBC, you know, Radio 4 and all these things. This is what uh, successful people do anyway, you know, like once they've achieved these things, they're kind of trivializing for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, how, you know, w- what are your thoughts? If you, You've clearly done a brilliant job in terms of getting the work that, and I think this is important, by the way, getting the work that you do, get getting media attention for, for the work that you do. I feel sometimes that we're in this world of financial planning uh you know this thing that transforms people's lives um but nobody's heard about it and we think that's a great thing i don't so so what are your tips what are your quick wins or not so quick wins for building brand and and, and building a brand and 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 gaining media attention
0: yeah great question i i think what started the um uh, media coverage and things was um sharing your story. And and that's a really hard thing to do because a lot oh. of people will think, oh, but I don't really have a story. Like I don't have anything major that's happened to me or I don't have have anything significant. Um but that's how my personal brand really exploded was when I started to just be really honest about things that were happening in my life that um would be useful for other people to hear because actually it's not really about your story it's about what message the person that you're sharing it with receives and the impact that it has for them in their life and a lot of people don't share their story because there's you know embarrassment about putting your face on social media or you know recording a video because your hair's not perfect or you know there, there's all these um expressions of that that stop us from from getting visible Um, but for me it's not about it's not about you it's about how you can support other people to create that emotional shift in themselves that makes them curious to want to follow you and hear more of your work so I think that was a really big thing for me like as I said standing on Andy Hart's stage was probably the first thing that I did Um, and quite soon after that I I actually had a real resistance about being seen. Mm. Uh, I had a big wound, if you like, about what will people say about me? And, um, you know, I had all of these things that came up. And so I just started podcasting because for me, grabbing my mic, I didn't even have to be on a video, was so easy. And I started my podcast uh, four years ago. It's not about the money, which used to be called In Her Financial Shoes. Some of you may be familiar with it. Um and i have had so much pr opportunity off the back of the podcast over the years you know to the point now where we get weekly journalists contact us um because of the platform that we chose to commit energy to and 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 commitment and consistency and the podcast is always like i've never missed a week for the the last 4 years and it brings me so much joy. You know, I'd love to just grab my mic, sometimes completely unscripted, unplanned, because I'm the impulsive, right? (laughs) And I just just talk, and I just see what happens. Um, And so find a platform that brings you joy. What's the one that you're spending most of your time on right now? If I asked you to look at your phone, are you on LinkedIn? Are you on YouTube? Are you on TikTok? Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, don't worry about the oh but this platform's bigger than this one and my but my clients don't listen to this they listen to all of them like everyone's everywhere nowadays and social media has uh, has its flaws for sure um but it also is a free platform for us to share information and i think if you keep in mind that it's not about you it's not about your story it's not about um what you look like or what you don't do quite right, or it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just about getting what matters to you out into, you know, into a space. And it's not the world, you know, the world are not going to see your YouTube video, uh, or your Facebook Live, it will be a fraction of the world that will see that. Um, But I think if you can commit to a platform that brings you joy, the one that you're already using, and think about, what is the message that you want to share with people? What do you want people to hear? What makes you mad? What gets you, what gets your fire burning in your belly? You know, when I talk about certain subjects, you can hear it in my voice. I get really passionate about talking about it. So go talk about that. Um, show up. It doesn't have to be perfect. And if if it means that you go and create a little sparkle in one person's life or someone hears that and thinks oh do you know what I'm going to reach out to this person and just contact them because I really needed to hear that today you know that that's where you have to get started um but like anything you know if you focus on the desire that the reason your why the purpose of why you're doing it then the, the media stuff kind of, you know, will, will come off the back of that. I think if you go out with the initial aim to go and get featured on, you know, in the Telegraph, for example, it's going to be a harder a harder route to do that. Um, but it's also about using platforms. You know, Twitter is a great platform. You know, the hashtag journo request, my team go in that every single day, search the, ha- the hashtag journo request connect with journalists, build some relationships with them. And the great thing about journalists is if you build a great relationship with one or two of them, you know, they'll recommend you within their circles. And, you know, like anything in life, it's about relationship building. Um, So, yeah, there's so much more around personal branding that I can share. But I, I really feel like think about the purpose, the desire. What's the message that you want people to be hearing? um and choose a method a platform that sparks your curiosity if you like listening to podcasts go and launch your own podcast um and just test it and if it doesn't work and you don't enjoy it that's cool you can close it like (laughs) um but if it does who knows where the opportunity will take you
1: Really, really good stuff. Yes, go ahead and launch your own podcast, but continue keep listening to this one.
0: <laughs> of course. Uh,
1: we've been speaking to Catherine Morgan. She's the author, another book you should get, of It's Not About the Money, Three Steps um, to Becoming a, a Wealthy Woman. I'm going to get a copy of the book um, and actually give it to uh, the, the, the women in my life, the ladies in my life. I'm surrounded by by ladies. Um.
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
1: um, Catherine, thank you very much for your honesty. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work you do. Um, just as a parting word, tell us where we can find more about your work, more about you and um, any any parting words that you have for the, for the audience.
0: Yeah, thanks so much, Abraham. I really appreciate being here with you today. Um, and yeah, I would, I mean, I would love to just drop, drop me a message on us on a, one of the social channels. I'd love to hear what, like what's landed for you in this conversation. I really like to explore that with, um, with your listeners. Um, and if you, would you, if you would like to get a copy of the book, if you just go to the website, it's not about the We, we actually gift, um, a free copy of the book. You just cover the postage. Um, so yeah, if you would like to, and it, even if you're not a woman <laughs> you'll still get value from that book um you know it's just that our our consumer community are predominantly women so we've written it specifically for our audience but you will get so much um understanding about your own relationship with money which i think is super curious as a financial planner because it will ultimately affect your clients you know we there will be a bias going on there that we may be unconsciously aware of so um so yes that would be wonderful
1: Catherine, thank you very much for your talk
0: thanks abraham
1: I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much, guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline Retirement Planning Software and PyTech, low-cost, flat-fee, model Portfolio Manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on twitter my handle is abraham on money until next time thank you